In the year 2013, an extraterrestrial and an android encountered each other in a human village. Since that time, they've worked together to understand the strange, fascinating primates that dominate the Earth. The alien and the robot. Today's episode, Transition. We should start with the juicy stuff. Let's do it. And that's all you. What is that? <laughs> oh! <laughs> yeah, big. I mean, I'm planning on cross posting this episode onto the main feed. This is big stuff. Ah, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, so we have this band called Gunger. And that's been part of our... They make beautiful things. I'm not going to dignify it with a laugh. <laughs> I thought it was real funny. <laughs> um, we've been... <laughs> that was the dumbest possible joke at that moment. <laughs> of all possible jokes, that was the dumbest one that could have been made. <sighs> I appreciate it, Mike. Um, so, yeah, we've been making music since... Well, it started as Michael Gunger, an integrity-signed artist. Integrity. I am a friend of God. Wrote that with Israel Houghton. His version of it was far more successful than my version of it. But uh, Then on we went to the Michael Gunger band. And... Then on, we went to Gunger, about 2009, and uh, it's been a ride. It's been a, quite a wild ride, uh, and we decided this week, Monday, time to put it to bed, time to let her go peacefully into the night. But how can you do that when you have a tour coming? <laughs> Well, it's going to be the farewell tour. It's going to be the farewell tour. It's I'm going to admit it's it's a little sad and mm. it's a little exciting. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of not just a little. It's it is sad and it is exciting. Um the reason the reason for it is uh and now I'm realizing how many times we've cried wolf on this podcast and that I'm not actually crying wolf. <laughs> We've always like admitted we're crying. Wolf. Yeah, right away. I'm not. Um, we have realized over the last several years that everything that you experience in life comes through these stories that you experience, that you believe, and art is certainly no different. Uh, I mean, if you think about if somebody told you that there's a new uh, Creed record. Nickelback record coming out that probably going to be that they say it was amazing. Unless you're, unless you're already a Nickelback fan, you're probably not going to check it out. Why? Because you already have that story pretty firmly established in your head about what it is. And what we've seen with the music that we've released for the past several records, um, due to, the stories that we started the music with 
and all the interpretation going through those lenses is that what we what we think we're saying, what we think we're making with the music uh, is often it's not perceived that way. It's perceived through an entirely different lens than where we're coming from right now. And that's I think that doesn't only impact the listener. I actually think that unconsciously impacts how we create as well. I think that we know that there's a lot of people that are interpreting what whatever Gunger is going to say as a brand through a, a certain story, through a certain lens. And um, so the knowledge, us knowing that it's like, it's like, I know if I'm speaking to a Spanish speaking person <laughs> and they, you know, it says you're, you're, you have to kind of adjust uh, how you're saying what you're saying in a different language. Um, that's not the greatest analogy, but hopefully you get the point. It, what we're saying is being impacted by how, what we think it's going to be perceived as by the, by the stories that we think are out there. Um, so that's, it's just made making music difficult with the algorithms and the, all the Google search results really being quite specific. Uh, and, any new music we'd put out, there's just no way you're going to hear it. Like if you click Gunger on Spotify, you're not going to hear it, this new music until, you know, like 30 songs down, maybe not that far, but 10 songs down. Uh, because I don't know how it's possible for us to beat the algorithm of beautiful things. <laughs> mm. It has so many listeners still. Um, and it's not that we despise that old stuff. That's part of the issue too. We don't. We actually have grown to love the journey that we've come from and the the whole thing that has happened. But it's left Gunger as a brand feeling a little bit more like a difficulty to deal, like to try to navigate around than a than a tool to help us make the art that is really true to where we're at right now. Mm. So, uh, we're going to let it go. And it was also kind of noticing that this, this tour is called the end of the world tour. The last song that we recorded on a Gunger record was death. <laughs> it was this, I also realized it was the sixth album that we made six days, take a rest death. It, it just, it was all too much. I was like, Oh my God, this is meant to be. <laughs> It's the end. <laughs> it was too poetically appropriate. And the last show of the tour is at home, is in L.A., which at the El Rey Theater, which is my favorite. That's a good, that's a good it's, show. It's, it's where we've done my favorite Gunger shows of all time, at the El Rey Theater. The El Rey Theater was the first place ever in my life people have chanted Science Mike when I was on tour with you. And we did that weird thing where I gave like little talks yeah. in the middle of concerts. It's very weird. But when I walked out, people started chanting Science Mike before I said anything. That's good memories in that place. Which is also weird because maybe some folks here don't know, since this community is larger and uh, haven't, not everyone's been around. The whole, in fact, most people haven't been around. Almost everyone hasn't been around for the entire arc of the Letters journey. Yeah. This started as your attempt to de-Christianize Gunker. Gunker. Yes. <laughs> That's what the liturgist was, a spinoff brand. 
Yes, for the Christians to go to. <laughs> it didn't, didn't work, work out that way. <laughs> I was like, we got all these conservative Christians hanging around our Facebook page. Maybe they'll we can push them over to the liturgists. <laughs> <laughs> but that that has taught me a lot about like what you think you're doing, what you what you put as your language as what you want to do out in the world is not nearly as important as what you actually believe and who you actually are in the world. Uh, so we started the liturgist thinking this is, I mean, generally Christian work for Christians. When we started, it was, uh, we were, both of us still liked a lot of the thoughts from other traditions, but. Uh, yes. And we said we wanted to make worship resources for atheists. Yeah. So it was like, yes, because we kind of were atheists. (laughs) It's a real, it's a real (laughs) interesting focus starting the work. We spoke very Christian. We did. I mean, we, our language, we were intentionally very Christian, um, thinking that that would be a good home for, to steer all, all the Christians that were coming at Gunger to, but, uh, that's not how it turned out. So, yeah, transition. I mean, we're still going to make music, I think. Uh, we still plan. We have a bunch of music recorded on this computer that I'm that we're recording into mm. right now. Um, but for years we've want, we've wondered like, should we have changed our name at I Am Mountain? Cuz that really was a totally new chapter. And when I look at the like who we were when we started Gunger, it really is just an entirely different thing. It would be like me releasing the Liturgist podcast as a Bible study resource yeah. at, my, at my Baptist church in Tallahassee. <laughs> Just like keep rolling with it. <laughs> it's like, morning, everybody. I got another Sunday school lesson here. You can download it at the liturgist.com slash podcast. <laughs> it's a new series called Buddhist. It's, it's a new series. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we have... Um, feelings about it but it it feels like the right thing but um, i do hope a lot of you come out and see us then for the last time sing some we'll of these be songs the last for the last time to see hunger to sing some of these songs for the last time i mean that that hasn't really struck me yet i don't think well now that i'm in trauma therapy <laughs> and friends with hillary mcbride i just spend all my time listening to my body Mm -hmm. and when i thought about that last chance to hear these songs i could feel the sadness in my Mm -hmm. body like Mm -hmm. uh like a heaviness in my stomach a heaviness in my chest heaviness in my eyes so there you know like any transition there's there's grief involved and grief for me, I mean, I, we, you know, we, we've talked about this off the air, and I think I probably mentioned it on the air. I, I'm I'm a Gunger super fan, but I'm a really like I am Mountain and later yeah, yeah. Gunger fan. I'm, you know, like we became friends. Then I went back and listened to your earlier yeah, yeah. stuff, and I was like, this is great music, but for how I see the world. <laughs> Clearly, I am Mountain and Beyond yeah. is more compatible with like how I understand the world. 
But those are like records I listen to a lot, and I do uh, I do look forward um, to going to Gunger shows, as weird as that sounds, especially if I'm not involved in them. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I'll be very excited and pretty sad at the El Rey. Hmm. Um, yeah, I plan on. But I also look forward to you making you making far weirder shit now with no. <laughs> <laughs> no rails on whatsoever. <laughs> uh, man, isn't it? It's just like, it's hard to let go of things that you love. And we really do love the work that has come out of it and the journey that we've experienced through it. And uh, it just feels like, sorry for the, cheesy Christian language here, but new wineskins time. That's this. You can't, I guess, why do I got to be so jaded to say cheesy Christian? Like it's a Jesus thing to say. That's a nice, mm. it's a nice analogy. Mm-hmm. Old, old wineskins, new wineskins. Um, sometimes you just gotta embrace the, uh, impermanence mm. of everything. And, uh, this one, this one was a lot of our identity. A lot of my sense of value and worth in the world came from what we were doing with Gunger. So to let that go, uh, it's a big deal. Mm. I feel no pressure, but I would, I'm trying to invite as many important people that have been part of Gunger to El Rey as possible. I'm glad you said you're coming if you want to, I don't know what it would be, but anything on the stage with us for a minute or something. I just I want to I want to involve in that show as many. I could I could lead a, a collective cry. <laughs> I just walk out there and just say, "Bye, Gunger," and just cry. And just say, "Anyone who just needs to cry together." <laughs> Wouldn't make the most riveting show in the world. Just like. <laughs> and now, Weeping with Science Mike. <clears throat> <That's> just... <laughs> yeah, we'll th- I don't know. We'll think about it. Whatever, whatever I can do to support. Thank you. I just want to see the damn show. That's what I'm excited about. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> it's one of those weird. It's a weird feeling. Davy G gonna be thumping that bass. Yep, but I, for El Ray, I'm gonna, I gotta. I haven't told John Joseph yet, but hopefully he'll be there as well. I, was, I love them both as people and as bass players. But or, you're sexually. But I'm yeah, I'm, I'm sexually musically aroused by John Joseph in a big way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Joseph is nasty. That's a big one. Yeah. I had other things I want to talk about on the episode. Let's go. Transition. Where else are we going? Impermanence. (laughs) I I can't I can't move on as easily. (laughs) It really uh I mean I'll be I'll be honest with you. God. Sorry. Um oh you didn't did you hear that? No. Oh, my phone rang. 
in my headphones it was quite loud because it came through my computer i didn't have to do not disturb on my computer on um shit what was i saying what were you saying i don't know. i was saying it's not so easy for me to move on oh i was yeah i was telling tom our booking guy uh this news yesterday and telling him and hearing and then i was starting to remember some of the songs that i have in the computer that i was like ah oh, that could work well as a gunger song and i get like the last couple of days i'm like should we really do this <laughs> but I th- the more that i lean into it i mean it just really does feel right mm. and if you're hearing this audio that means uh the trigger has been pulled <laughs> It literally isn't too late until the episode gets posted. I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, talk me off the ledge now, Mike, if you want to. This is your last chance. I mean, it makes the most sense. And there's a difference between retiring Gunger as a brand and a project and you or Lisa retiring from music altogether. Yeah. If it was the latter... Yes, I would be. Yeah, I think very persuasive. Mm. Why that was a bad idea. <laughs> but on the brand, it actually, I do think it like you're not Apple going from making computers to making phones. You're Apple going from making computers to making cheese. <laughs> like it just doesn't. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. This is, this doesn't make any sense, um, and so yeah, I think I think you do the most honor to the Gunger catalog by setting it out as a completed body of work that does speak to a transition. But let's let your earlier stuff be your earlier stuff, and let's your newer work escape its shadow slash gravity well. Hmm. Um. I mean, I you know, I think the Lone Wildlife trilogy is the best thing y'all have ever done. Thank you. I and um, the algorithms were just like, hey, everybody. Don't look at this. Don't look at this. Here's beautiful things. <laughs> um, and I, I think if that would have launched under a, a distinct identity. Yeah. I think it would have done a lot better. Hmm. The other... Especially because if someone does find a song on Spotify from the One Wildlife Trilogy, the next song they hear is much more likely to be an old worship song. Yeah, yeah. And so it like pulls them out of the headspace yeah. entirely. Yeah, exactly. The that other... just occurred to me in this moment. <laughs> yeah, if you just look up a song. Yeah, just like literally it... somebody says a good thing about one song. Wonder. Yeah. Like, wow. And then... Bigger than my imagination. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be my Yeah, it's a stretch. Um, one other strange aspect about the course of Gunger's evolution and my, my evolution, my spiritual journey, is to use that apple and cheese metaphor. It's almost like we went from making computers to making cheese, and then now I'm trying to make like artificially intelligent cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I like I'm back to spirituality, I in see. A, in a more like I really am interested in uh, some of the 
some of the same ideas that we started with, like the communal spiritual expression, the connection. Um, it's not just to, to me, I don't just want to make music that is like showcasing my ego as a cool ego. I'm not cool enough. Uh, <laughs> I found that I make a better um, transparent light for uh, broadcasting a picture of the world of reality of something else other than my my own ego as the object. Um, so a lot of that has been coming back in, in values, but it certainly can't be what it used to be. It's it's not like we're gonna go back to the Christian music circuit and be playing all the worship festivals. Um, so it's it's <laughs> it would almost to change again to to become more spiritual overtly or whatever um at this point it just feels like it's so been so much back and forth so much is this what is this and then finally there's some people that are like okay fine cheese apple cheese i like apple cheese and then i'm like yeah but have you seen the keyboard <laughs> <laughs> So I think just a fresh slate would be like, I, even just for me, because I don't know how much of me saying that, even thinking about in those categories, is a result of me unconsciously trying to please as many of the Gunger fans as possible. I don't know, because it, it's hard for me to parse all those feelings out. Um, because it's a strange thing that happens after you sing the same songs for a decade. Gunger is not just about us anymore because it's these songs the reason we still sing beautiful things at shows is because it's not our song anymore it's like mm. lisa and my song it's become this we hear stories every time of what that song has been in people's lives and they've as they've lost loved ones as they've gone through divorces as they've all gone through all sorts of pain and they've had this like experience where our music has been a big part of their life journey and so they came to the show because of that, and we're just gonna like not sing it. Uh, so it's part of the we that has gathered around a Gunger show. Um, so I love that we. It's just too convoluted to be able to. It's hard to know what to make for that brand now. Mm. So a clean slate, creatively, artistically, feels like uh, the best move. Both creatively, hopefully, business, hopefully, eventually, marketing-wise, where we can have a better shot of having new material be the thing that people hear when they go to our. <laughs> I mean, Beyonce made a lot of great stuff with Destiny's Child. Yeah, wasn't that what they were called? Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm a. I'm a post Destiny's Child Beyonce fan. Yeah, you know what I mean. But mm -hmm. if, if she just stayed with that brand, what she's done now would be couldn't couldn't be and i also think like kind of the back to spirituality notion the most interesting conversations in the world about spirituality right now are happening in music hmm. but none of it is laid labeled spiritual music. yeah yeah, yeah. none of it hmm. right like i can think of so many records recently that i've just been like wow yeah yeah like that informs my theology hmm but they're not by 
those artists don't label themselves inside of any spiritual tradition and they didn't release those records. Yeah. I think escape letting the spirituality conversation escape the shackles of subgenre. Yes. Is allowing more people to reflect on what spirituality means. Yes, yes. And I'm super interested in that. Amen. Amen and amen. Uh, what about you? How are you transitioning in life? Well, one of the ways... This is the rare uh, alien and the robot where I have an outline. So, oh, boy. So, so I'm going to... Uh, is that the first time? Question. Uh, yeah, I, I'm usually pretty anti-outline for the show. We've got a lot to talk about this week. Uh, so one of the ways I'm transitioning is uh, trying to figure out how to transition the liturgists away from a collaboration of two loners that frustrates all of their friends <laughs> into a proper media organization. <laughs> <laughs> and we took a, a baby step that way in inviting you all to apply uh, for an associate producer position with the liturgists. And I just want, I just wanted to give an update there because I've gotten concerned emails and questions from people who have applied and I've responded to none of those, (laughs) but there have been a lot. (laughs) So I've seen them. So don't worry if you're like, oh my gosh, did I not get it? We have interviewed zero people for the position of associate producer. So if you're like, oh no, they, I didn't make it. That's not true. No one made it. We can't even figure out how to interview everybody. I'm just being real. We don't even know how to interview you. We actually thought about inviting like three to five of our earliest kind of favorite candidates to help us interview everybody and tell us how to interview you in particular and tell us how we should structure your job. That's a real conversation we had. Uh, the good news is uh, we've gotten a, 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 a friend of the Liturgist podcast reach out who has a lot of experience in the media world who has offered to just help us figure this stuff out. So the bad news is we are not immediately interviewing people for the associate producer position because we've got to figure out how to do that. The good news is if you're sending your application, you're still in the running to be an associate producer on the liturgist spot on the, in the liturgist. Uh, there were some amazing people. Really amazing. That's really, really amazing. Yeah. I will say I'm probably going to go take the listing off the website yeah. and we're going to close the entries. Cause if we just keep letting all these applications come in literally every day, then we will never, ever, ever interview people. <laughs> Because, did I mention more applications come in every single day, seven days a week? Because they do. I guess there's a lot of listeners on the podcast. I don't know. Um, but, like, it's it's still really important because we have huge plans for Season 5. We've talked to you about. But that is a point of transition that we aren't managing super well. Yeah. Um, but we're, we are making good strides to figure out how to actually we are and in fact after this podcast we're having a meeting with a smart person yeah to help us look at that so i just want to say that that, and don't hear this that the associate producer candidate physician is paused or canceled it's not we literally just don't even know how 
We don't even know, like, when you start, you're supposed to get, like, an employee handbook or guidelines. We don't have an HR person. We don't know. Like, come to my my backyard. Can we legally hire you? What What is entailed in that? We don't know. Do we have to do the e-verification system? I don't know. You see what I mean? There are some serious fundamental problems with the organization in regards to hiring that we don't have worked out. They're not unsolvable problems. Yeah. And we're moving towards solving them. We're moving towards solving them, but he's going on tour and I'm writing a book. So that that's a that's a transition. <laughs> you see why I wanted to say this though. Yeah. They they deserve to know. They deserve to know. I haven't said anything previously because I was embarrassed. Because in theory, I have management experience. <laughs> and in theory, I have a degree in organizational leadership. <laughs> On paper, we're the right two people to figure this out. But I was like, I'll replay the process in my mind because I used to hire people all the time. Step one. <laughs> Call Sheila in Human Resources. <laughs> oh, we don't have a Sheila in Human Resources. <laughs> what do I do now? <sighs> Sheila, if you're listening, sorry for mentioning your first name. <laughs> Although I really do miss you, especially right now. Uh, yeah, so that's transition two. Good one. But I've got three plans. For I know the show. what the third one is Facebook. Facebook is trash. Is that what it is? Facebook is trash. But is that the third thing you have on your outline? Yes. That is the third thing I have on my outline. He turned his computer, but the print was too small. The print was too I, small. I was like, look, it even says Facebook is trash. But I was like, oh, that's tiny font. That's a really tiny font. Yeah, Facebook is trash. Um, in case you don't follow the drama around social media... You may be aware that world governments are investigating Facebook for discouraging the awful activity. You may be aware that journalists around the world have uncovered nefarious and awful activities by Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook's founder and CEO. Like what? Like early in Facebook's history, using Facebook as a vindictive tool to get back on other people, really? hiring private investigators to look into and f- dig up dirt on competitors and former employees. Mm. It's real creepy, mm-hmm. awful things. Most recently, it turns out that Facebook started something called Facebook Research and targeted at teenagers, people under the age of 18, and offered them $20 a month to participate in Facebook Research. All you had to do was install a developer certificate on your iPhone which if you don't know what developer certificates are, don't worry about it. It's a way for companies to use iPhones and run their own custom software. That's what it's meant for. But Facebook used that to bypass the very stringent privacy safeguards oh. on Apple's App Store and analyze 100% of the traffic to the internet and to the cell phone network coming from that teenager's iPhone as well as every single thing on that iPhone. And maybe one of the most flagrant disregards for human privacy ever. This is a big deal. This is a huge deal. This broke. Uh, I don't remember who broke the story first. It spread quickly across the internet. When you say everything on that iPhone. Literally everything. Their photos. 
anything they want. If you've got a developer certificate on the device, you can grab anything. So that that means there's a person going to that teenager's phone and somehow snooping around? How does it They work? don't have to. A machine pulls everything off everything. that phone. Anything they want. But we don't know so what the whole they thing with the developer certificate, because I used to have these in my corporate world, it's for a device a corporation owns. That's why you're allowed to do anything you want. Because mm. it's like if you if you get a company phone from a company you work for yeah. and they own it, yeah. they've got a right to everything on it. And I, you know they should. It's their phone. Wow. But the enterprise development guidelines specifically say you can't use that. For anything other than your phone or employees who opt into your company's program. And Facebook used that with teenagers that don't work for Facebook. Right? So. So they paid them so they could be part of the company. Which doesn't work. Doesn't hold up. But that's what they were trying to do. That's what they're trying to do. And uh, last night, the nerd internet went crazy. Absolutely crazy. Uh, including I saw a lot of prominent nerds deleting their Facebook account last night. And then this morning, Apple revoked Facebook's enterprise developer certificate, which is a huge deal. It means uh, Facebook, all their custom apps they use for their employees stopped working this morning. So Facebook, the company, is in chaos today. Wow. Um, But, you know, and a lot of nerds were like, I guess it takes a mega corporation <laughs> to push back on a mega corporation. Yeah, seriously. Because whatever users clamor, Facebook doesn't give a shit. But Apple's big enough to shove Facebook around, basically. Um, and uh, that's so all Facebook's apps stop working, and it can also affect their ability to test upcoming versions of the Facebook app and the Instagram app at scale. So this is a, this is more than a slap on the wrist that Apple has given Facebook. But the the thing is, you know, and we've heard, we've did a social media episode on the podcast. I think didn't we do a social media episode? Yeah, yeah. So I probably have talked about some of this, but I have huge concerns over the role multinational corporations play in social media, which is sad because I actually love social media, like the ability to connect people, the ability to get educated from multiple perspectives, the ability to uh, engage and organize advocacy for public good. Uh, social media has a lot of really promising aspects, but then mega corporations are publicly traded, make it shitty because they monetize your activity and your personal data and they change their algorithms constantly to try to get you compulsively addicted basically to the platform so that you can't find a healthy role for Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or any major social networking platform in your life. Do you think they really use those words like in their meetings? They're like, can we get people addicted? No, they say gamif- gamification. Gamification. That's the lingo in that world. What Make does that it mean? like a game. Huh. You know, games are rewarding. Games are fun. There's rewards when you do things. Wow. So but yeah, that's absolutely I mean they've they've hired behaviorist and behavioral neuroscientists at these companies to maximize engagement. You all can't see the air quotes, Mm -hmm. but basically make this stuff as habit forming as possible. Wow. Uh, Which they do for their shareholders. They make more money the more you use social media. I don't want social media that preys on my personal data. I don't want social media that creates 
compulsive behavioral patterns, but there's been no alternative. And like one of the things that depresses me the most, hashtag Black Lives Matter and hashtag Me Too, these incredibly culture-shaping movements started by women of color and, and trans women end up increasing the market value and capital of Silicon Valley companies run by kind of antisocial white dudes. So that like really doesn't just upset me, it offends me. Um, but that's the way like social media is structured now. This what was originally called Web 2.0 has become this incredible consolidation of media power on the internet, which was originally about destroying consolidated media power. That's how the internet one started. Um, so I've been so fed up and I've been thinking about how to delete my Facebook and Twitter accounts for how long have I been? I don't know. It's been a while. It's been a while, but what there's been no alternative. Um, until now, (laughs) you're going to go to Mastodon. Well, before we go, but we can talk about your stuff. Well, I just want to, I want to, Like that all sounds nefarious and shady, and we've we talked about this before. And I remember knowing more about why it's so nefarious. <laughs> <laughs> but what, privacy, why? What's the value of privacy for you? It seems to be a very high prior uh, like value for you. Yeah, it's a it's a big value for me. Right to privacy. Why? It's disturbing when algorithms can learn things about you that you don't disclose publicly for good reasons. Mm-hmm. You've just so it's become, like dehumanizing kind of... It's not just dehumanizing. It can have serious life consequences. Okay. Can you give me an example? If you are an evangelical megachurch pastor who's questioning their sexuality, mm-hmm. your Google search history can destroy your life. Mm-hmm. Whereas... If you're allowed to go through your process, yeah, you can make a transition that protects yourself. But, but are, what are you? What is the fear? So that Facebook knows that Pastor John Straight Guy is not straight. Mm-hmm. What is Facebook has an API bug, which they have all the time, that lets applications look up people's user data, and then someone else builds that mm. information outside of Facebook and discloses it. Uh, okay, and that's not a hypothetical instance yeah (laughs) that stuff has happened yeah yeah. has happened frequently okay um i just think it's an intrinsic right we have i think there's a reason in america that unreasonable search and seizure is a constitutional protection we should have a right and expectation to personal privacy Mm. um you know i If 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 someone could have figured out I was an atheist in those years when I was pretending to be Baptist, that could I have ruined have, your family. I could have. have killed myself. Mm, yeah, yeah. Like the the consequences are severe. Uh, so the the flagrant and casual disregard that hmm. Facebook incorporated and Twitter and indeed, in my opinion, Google have for people's privacy is deeply concerning to me. 
The problem is Facebook has so many users. It's the only place you can connect with almost every single person in the developed world. Hmm. Um, Twitter's got a lot going for it in terms of, of culture. Um, some of the most interesting voices in the world are on Twitter. Um, Instagram, you know, is a great place to share, share photo content and view photo content. And then Google, unfortunately, everything Google does, they're, they're decent to great at Google search is, is great. Gmail is, 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 is really solid email. Um, even though it's literally mining your personal email, anonymizing it not super well, and then using it to sell advertising to you. Hmm. It is a free way to have a fast email account. But when we're not, when advertisers are the ones paying for everything, the products are built to the needs of advertisers. Hmm. And so you are the product being sold to an advertiser yeah. by Facebook. And that just, I guess I worked in the advertising business too long mm-hmm. to feel comfortable with being a product that advertising companies consume. Hmm. Uh, you'd be surprised, even good people, what they'll do when they have two months to hit certain numbers or they or people on their team lose their job. It's the entire Wall Street incentive structure. Is is there not a way... I'm not saying this to... it's. Uh, I'm not saying this to justify any of the corporate behaviors, but to this is happening. I do you see a way that it really will stop happening? That'd be the first question, and then second second question would be how can individuals that have privacy concerns up their privacy security game as far as like when you do private web browsing or or are there certain things you can do to like cut off the Google and Facebook from knowing what you're doing? It's really hard because um, even if you delete your all your Google accounts and all your Facebook accounts and stop using Chrome, um, so many websites use Google Analytics and so many websites have Facebook tracking pixels in. Hmm. They're still going to get something. So you've got to use a lot of script blockers. Some people go as far as um, setting up their router uh, in their home or even uh, the, the networking stock on their computer from blocking all the IP addresses of all Facebook's and Google's servers. Wow. If you block all of Google's, a lot of websites don't function. Really? If you block all of Amazon's, most of the internet doesn't function Jeez. because so many websites are hosted on Amazon web Woo. services. Um, so that's tough. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to spend... After my book gets done, the rest of 2019, I'm going to go on a personal quest to de-multinationalize, multinational corporationize my digital presence online. Mm. So I'm leaving everything Google. Really? I'm leaving everything Facebook. I'm you're, leaving you're Twitter. Email everything. E- email everything. I'll Ooh. be migrating the liturgist.com to a better service than Google Apps. Really? Um, which I'll do in a way that doesn't disrupt the organization at all. That is one thing that's actually in my core competency. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll be I'll be and as I do that, I'll be letting people know how I did it in ways they could as well. But it's it I mean it's it'd be more than it'd be more than one episode of Liturgist Podcast to talk about everything you have to do. So Do you you do that? Do you do that as principle? Maybe there's no difference for you. 
you do that as principle or as do you actually think that culture can change the trajectory of where we're headed with I think culture can change the trajectory of where we're headed. Culture got us to where we are. Yeah. And although I love Facebook has certainly some really powerful incentive structures and barriers that keeps it in such a dominant position. I do not think they are in any way insurmountable. Hmm. Um, we have for now a free and open internet, Mm -hmm. which is what allowed Facebook to rise. And I can also believe can cause Facebook to fall. (laughs) That's fucking rock and roll. (laughs) That's the problem with us. Like here's why we're a terrible business. You've got two punk rock idealists. (laughs) who are officers of a corporation. <laughs> and so our business partners are like, it would help the business if you guys posted more to social media. And I'm like, actually, I think my next year project is to destroy social media. Because <laughs> I don't want to be a cog in the machine exploiting these <laughs> listeners, man. Like I fought the, I fought the church. Yeah. On behalf of these people, I'm going to fight Facebook on their behalf as well. God damn it. That's I'm what I'm taking talking this about. lying down. And I, you know, I, I, I started a Facebook thread on my personal page about how Facebook is terrible. And people are like, what are you doing? And we'll talk about it in a minute what I, my first step. Um, but then someone else is like, well, all my friends are here. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, I'm lucky that I can just try a thing and a few thousand people try it yeah. with me. But that's what it takes. Like, if nobody will ever be the first to kind of put their neck out, uh, then, you know, I, I, I was texting Vishnu uh, last night. I said, I think over time, Facebook is a more existential threat to culture than Donald Trump. It, that, was quite a, that was quite a text to get. I believe it. So Mastodon, tell me about Mastodon, because I tried to sign up. And I couldn't even fucking sign into the thing. <laughs> You have an account. We did. You're talked about very often, especially your silence, non, non posting, no picture. So I think I think what happened is I signed up for the account and then I took a break. For whatever reason, I got interrupted, and then when I went back, and so I had to like download some other thing. <laughs> you shouldn't have to download anything. The good news is I know the admin of of our Mastodon, so we can get you in no problem for sure. But then I went back to the sign in page. And it, it just didn't it didn't make any sense. So let's talk about Mastodon first before right. we get to your account in particular. <laughs> Mastodon is a a Mastodon is an animal. Uh a, an a predecessor to the mammoth, right? So it's a specific animal. Why do they name a social networking platform Mastodon? Because like many things in the open source world, it's very whimsical. And it started making fun of Twitter, which on Mastodon is often called Hatebird or the Hatebird site. Really? Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> so instead of a tweet, they wanted to be able to make a toot. T O O T. You told me that when we first started, it's I was, big I was uh, it's big turned off. So yeah, me too. So it's I don't want to tell right anybody now. I've been tooting. tooting. Yeah. But here's the only thing I would say. There was a time when posting on a wall and tweeting were equally like, what? I can't take this seriously. You see what I mean? Yeah. Like they've, these metaphors have become so entrenched so quickly, but they're not very old. 
And I remember when they were ridiculous. So anyway. So tooting doesn't feel weird to you now at this point? It does not. <laughs> it's, it's about three days of like, are you kidding me? And then it's just like tweeting. Did you see so-and-so's toot? Right. Oh. It is. It's a thing. Wait a second. Someone named Jenny just joined? Surely that's not my wife. I don't know. Well, maybe. We'll see. Uh, with the honey badger may have joined Mastodon while we're sitting here. Wow. Um, so it started as a joke around tooting and then became a social networking platform. But what's different about Mastodon than Twitter or Facebook is it is not controlled by a multinational corporation and cannot be. Because it's an attempt to take a Web 2 idea, Web 2.0, which is social media, and put it back in a Web 1.0 framework. And I know that's confusing if you're not a nerd. It means Mastodon is built around a bunch of servers controlled by different people hmm. talking to each other. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. That's how email works. So if you have an email address, you've got a name, an at sign, mm. and then a domain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all different email domains can talk to each other. It doesn't matter what domain you're on, but no company controls yeah. email, just like no company controls Mastodon. So what we've done is set up a liturgist Mastodon server mm. that can talk to every other Mastodon server in the world. So we've got it right around a thousand liturgists on there right now in a community that has over two million people in it. Hmm. So Mastodon's not as small as, as people might think. Now why Mastodon today is mostly made up of people who felt marginalized on mainstream social media. So that means there's a lot of disabled people on Mastodon. Hmm. That means there's a lot of uh, queer and trans people on Mastodon. Mm. There's these communities that flocked there for safety. And Mastodon's architecture is designed so the kind of harassment that happens on Twitter and Facebook is a lot harder to do. Why? How? Um, well, for example, um, <clears throat> you can't search across Mastodon, right? Hmm. So if you're um, a white supremacist, yeah. you can search for certain ha hashtags and just harass as many people as wow. you want. When you search hashtags on Mastodon, you'll only get results for people on your server hmm. or accounts connected to your server. Wow. So Mastodon is structurally designed to make it impossible to become a media figure that dominates the platform in the way that happens on Facebook and Twitter. Interesting. So even though I am the most followed person on the liturgist uh, Mastodon server, and one of the more followed people now, you know, I'd say probably top 5% of all Mastodon users, I can't say something that suddenly spreads all the way across Mastodon huh. any more than I could write an email that spread all the way across email. Wow. So it's designed to, to make everybody more on a level playing field. Uh -huh. And the UI is made in such a way that there's no incentive to make something viral. It doesn't really display how many likes or boosts the Mastodon version of a retweet you have. Ah. The focus is on conversation and communal engagement, not on popularity. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Which means what's happening on our Mastodon instance is really substantive conversations that are weighty without being hostile so everyone's really supportive of each other but we're having conversations about like capitalism versus socialism 
We were having conversations about like how to be a youth pastor during deconstruction. People have questions about sex and sexuality. Uh, people, you know, there's like it's not a superficial conversation, but it's good natured in a way that you would expect people um, to be when they all listen to Lyrics podcast together. Um, so it, you know, and there's a lot of other features too. You have these things called content warnings. So if you're going to post something you, th- you think could be triggering or upsetting to someone else, you can hide it behind a content warning and then people can choose whether they want to look at it or not. Um, so that's all good. I think the most exciting thing is because we have so few people, you can get a really great username. A lot of people's Mastodon handles are their first names. So I'm just at Mike on our instance. Wow. Um, and you're just at Vishnu. Now, if you wanted to, if someone wanted to reach you who isn't on the liturgist server, they'd have to say at Mike at social.theliturgist.com, which is a little weird at first, but you've done it before. It's an email address with an at sign in front of it. <laughs> it's how Mastodon handles work. Um, so my goal is to start investing. Mastodon's my first effort to see if this is plausible. And I will say we've got a lot of great social media stuff out there. We've got a Slack group. We tried Mighty Networks. There's a lot of private Facebook groups, our official pages. Of anything we've ever done, I've enjoyed this the most. Um, because the Slack group, a lot of people get on the Slack group, and I mean a lot of people, and say, I just don't understand this. Yeah. If you've used Twitter, you can get your head around Mastodon pretty quickly. And because of that, it it it's more lively and more engaging. Like, I'm sitting here watching our server timeline and there's enough people on it now that it's always kind of moving really but it's not moving so fast that you feel like you're missing something and because it's a chronological presentation it only shows posts in the order they were created there's no algorithm trying to get you compulsively engaged with the platform that's nice so you tend to kind of go on catch up with what happened and then forget about it for hours because there's not going to be some juicy thing you miss Hmm. if you don't get back on so I would call it like not only uh, does it undermine multinational corporate control of social media, it also starts to rehumanize social media, which is probably my favorite thing about That's it. That's cool. I like it made me go back to the beginning of the conversation where we talked about um, how even unconsciously kind of knowing what the biggest part of the Gunger audience, listening audience is going to like unconsciously impacts how I feel about the work that I would put out on the brand. And I've noticed that on Twitter as well. I kind of have an instinct for what my following is going to like based on the number of likes, based on the number of retweets, what like I kind of, kind of, sometimes I know here's, this is kind of a tweet that people would like to hear. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's like a, you're rewarded with the hearts and with the retweet signs and, and uh, I think that impacts how everybody tweets. Mm-hmm. So to not have that as part of the architecture, it's like a constantly clean slate for everybody to be able to just be more themselves. It seems that's what it sounds like. When I've had post takeoff on Mastodon, <laughs> I haven't even known. Interesting. Until I start getting quite a few replies. But even then, it's not compared to even a mild tweet on Twitter. Yeah. It's so laid back and so easy. So what I'm finding is, and I have incredible anxiety with social media these days. I don't feel anxious at all when I use Mastodon. At all. 
I feel completely calm. So I feel like excited and open about engaging with people in a way I don't, even with people who are liturgist listeners on Facebook or Twitter, because the cultural assumptions are different. Um, so if you're interested in joining us on Mastodon, uh, you just go to social.theliturgist.com. Signups are easy and free. And uh, if you have any questions, just send a toot. And I think oh, you'll find, see, yeah, it's uh, tough. Just make a post, and I think you'll find the community is toot. quick and supportive. That'll that'll have to be adjusted, too. <laughs> I literally don't even notice it now. <laughs> well, but how often does it show, like, when you're on there, it says, Literally you every like time toot? you try to create a post, you press a button that's blue that says toot. <laughs> literally every time. I guess it does help you, like, take your thoughts less seriously. Yeah. You'll see, you'll just see the community's different. Like, uh. at our people, that's the other cool thing. That, okay, I've really got to tell you this. We get on Mastodon, meaning we, the liturgists. And it once we got to about 300 users, we were talking so much. Um, you can track trending topics across the entire Mastodon web called the Fediverse. And... uh also we started nerdy. making, well, Federation Universe, but yes, it's all very nerdy. <laughs> we started making hashtags trend, and one of them was hashtag the liturgists. So the liturgists is trending on all of Mastodon, which is pretty wild if you think about it. And uh, so people started being like, what the, what the fuck is the liturgists? Like nobody knew. And so this person says... Uh, I was getting ready to block an instance because it looked like it's religious. And this person is on an instance that's explicitly for queer and trans people. And I uh, said I was getting ready to, but then I, I did a little digging and saw that these people are explicitly anti-homophobia, anti-racism, anti-white supremacy, da-da-da, right? Mm-hmm. And we're like, and I dug in and looked, and it looks like a really healthy community. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, how is there a religious community that's healthy? Like it's making me reconsider what I think about spirituality and religion. And I just don't think there's this space in the capitalist exploitive structure of Facebook or Twitter to create that kind of a nuanced redefining shift in someone's thinking just by being present, kind and open. Hmm. Well, you're good at sales, Mike McCarg. <laughs> Only when I really believe it. That's my fatal flaw as a marketing person. I gotta believe it. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go like find my password now. I can't even log in here. It's not no, whatever. I know the admin. All right. <laughs> Wait, so does that mean you have a a physical server with Oh yeah. At your house. No, 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 no. I used to hosted server, hosting service. Our oh, server's okay. located in France. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I don't trust the United States. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you you really you chose not to be in the US. That's correct. I'm under those EU privacy controls. It's a lot more difficult for the feds to make a request to get on our data. <laughs> it will be nice to have my own logins because I can't log into our Patreon account because uh, 
Mr. Privacy over here. I can here. get you in there. <laughs> He's got a secret room that I have to go into that has a secure server that I can log in. in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, uh, you logged in from an IP6 device. For Mastodon? Yeah. See, that doesn't seem very private. Uh, uh, IP6 addresses are not not real traceable. Okay. <laughs> it's built into the protocol. All right, well, everybody's changing, everybody's dying, everything's happening. The Alien!